Welcome, welcome to another episode of See You at the Crossroads podcast. Uh, it is me, Mr. Hendricks, here sitting down with a very, very special guest. Um, all our guests are special, but this one is uh, very unique because uh, he speaks uh, multiple languages. And uh, some of you listeners who are students may have had him in class. And some of you who share classroom space with him, like myself, have heard him speak this uh, this language pretty often. Um, I don't feel like I'm very versed in uh, in this language yet, even though I hear you speak it very often. Um, but I am interested to see what road took you to uh, your current profession and what you're doing now. So please, uh, listeners, help me welcome Mr. Duncan. Hello. It's all way. There we go. Solway. Um, Mr. Duncan is a Latin teacher here at Crossroads. He's actually part of the uh, esteemed class of hires um, about 14 years ago that yep. I came in with. Um, I met with Mrs. Uh, Shoro, and I kind of called us the last of the Mohicans. I feel like there were like 14 or 15 of us to start, and now there's like a handful. Right. So uh, um, we're going to get right to it. Um, Mr. Duncan, what is your story? All right. Well, I think I'll start my story in Mississippi. So I went to high school in Oregon. I met my wife in Oregon. We got married in Oregon and she got her bachelor's degree in botany. And when she decided to go for a master's degree, we were looking around at different programs. She ended up down at Ole Miss. I was a uh, really Rebel, sc- rebels. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were the rebels. So I was, I was really scared at living down in Mississippi. You know, I just, uh, hadn't heard good things. So I figured that would be a good time for me to go back to school, you know, get myself on the college campus, you know, nice, nice safe space. So I did. Uh, I double majored in, uh, I got sociology and anthropology and classical languages, Mm. classical civilizations. And my focus was on uh, epigraphy. So I love, please explain. Yeah, I loved ancient writing on stone. So I read Mayan glyphs. I read Greek, you know, stones. And my favorite was Greek tombstones. Wow. So anyway, after I got my degree down there, I went up to Ohio State to get a master's degree. Oh my goodness, another <laughs> Ohio State person. Yeah. I actually have a sidebar. I, me and Miss Helmsdorfer, we butt heads a lot because I am a Michigan fan. Oh dear. So when we talk about Michigan, Ohio State, just the thought of Ohio State just makes my skin crawl from a sports perspective. My father-in-law went to Ohio State, got his yeah. master's doctor from there, so I've always had some level of heated rivalry with Ohio State. It just happens that now right. I'm crossing paths with people who have a direct lineage to the university. Yep. But we caught. I'm referring to as Ohio State. You refer to us as the. Uh, what is it? Uh, ton is um, the team up north is yep. what Ohio State fans <laughs> would call Michigan. But please go ahead. Your Ohio State story. Sorry to interject. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so I got my uh, master's degree there in Greek and Latin. And while I was doing that, that was when I really started getting into teaching. So uh, while I was there, I taught. Uh, I taught uh, Greek history, I taught uh, scientific and medical terminology to med students, I taught uh, classical mythology to groups of like 600, Mm. so that was where I first got into teaching. That was in Columbus? That was in Columbus, yep, and then I decided to move on to my PhD there, so got my master's, started working on my PhD. About that time, my wife and my two-year-old son Cyrus uh, are with me, my wife lost her job, Ended up moving to New Jersey, because hmm. um, that's where all the jobs were at that time. She's okay. a pharmaceutical chemist. Hmm. Uh, so I tried to do my PhD kind of back and forth between New Jersey and Ohio. It didn't really work out. 
So I had to give up on the the PhD, move full time to New Jersey to be with my family, and okay. you know I'm kind of looking at what my career options are, and lo and behold, Crossroads is hiring, and Latin teacher is uh, what I fell into. Wow, that is uh, an extensive history of you that I did not know. Yeah. Um, again, the whole point of this podcast is trying to connect and hear the stories of people around the building, and uh, just to hear that. I mean. Please start. Let's go back for a second. What was life in Oregon like? Because when I think of Oregon as a sports fan, I think, oh, Oregon Ducks, yeah. Nike Town, USA, yeah. Prefontaine. I think of all that stuff. Tell me what Oregon life was like for you. Um, Oregon's a great place. I lived in Eugene, Oregon, right in the Willamette Valley, so right where the Ducks are. It's green all the time because it rains all year round. <laughs> you got the beach an hour or two away. You got the high desert an hour or two away. You got these tall Cascade Mountains. Anything you want to do outdoors, you can do it. And cross-country running is one of the biggest things there. I ran cross-country in high school. Uh, absolutely loved living in Oregon. When I retire, I'm headed back. Look at that. Good for you. Good for yep. you. What? Uh, when you look at the differences, I'm going to skip Mississippi. It doesn't sound like you're very excited about going there anyway, but... When you look at, uh, and I refuse to talk about Ohio State and give them any type of self-promotion, um, when you look at Oregon and New Jersey, a place where you say, I'm going to retire there, like I love it so much, it has all this, in New Jersey, what is the biggest difference? I know there are a lot, but to you, what is the biggest difference in life in Oregon versus life in New Jersey? How crowded everything is. Crowded. Yeah. I mean, in Oregon, it's just wide open spaces. Mm. You know, here, it's just everywhere you turn around, there's a, there's a building, there's a person, there's a road, you know. <laughs> There's uh, not a lot of, you can hike for three days and not come across anything. Wow. And have you been back at all to Oregon since you, since you left there? Yeah. My, my dad still lives there. So, you know, I've, I've gone back to visit and we took our kids back there a couple summers ago and we did, you know, a couple week tour, did as much, uh, hiking as we could do in two weeks. What is their, what is their take on, on Oregon life being that they kind of, their upbringing was mostly in New Jersey? I think they love the mountains and, and just how open everything is. I think they, they also appreciated that. Great, so. great. And you're, um, you're actively involved in the, uh, the Boy Scouts, if I'm not mistaken, or yes. our Scouts. Yes. Explain to me, uh, what your involvement is with that and how you've kind of connected with that throughout your time. Okay. Well, when, uh, my older son Cyrus joined the Cub Scouts in first grade, uh, they were in need of a den leader, so I stepped up to be the den leader. I was a den leader for his group for five years. And then at that time, uh, when my younger son came in, they were in need of a cub master, so I moved up to the cub master role. So I spent 10 years in the Cub Scouts. Uh, when my older son Cyrus joined the Boy Scouts, I kind of part-time work with them as well. Now that my youngest son Elias is in the Boy Scouts, I'm now an assistant scout master for them. So, okay. you know, for the last... I guess 12 years I've been pretty busy with the scouts. I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, um, both Cyrus and Eliza are Crossroads alum and yep. now newly formed Crossroads Viking uh, and Elias. What um, do you feel like you have seen uh, the impact that Crossroads has made um, as one on your kids coming through the system, but being the difference of you being a teacher with your kids coming through the building? Yeah, I mean, Crossroads is, is a great place. It's great for all the kids that we have here. So my children definitely have benefited from being here. Um, I think my younger son, Elias, is getting probably more benefit. Uh, just somehow in elementary school, he had a little trouble, you know, just kind of figuring out the ropes there. But as soon as he jumped into Crossroads, all the teachers here are like, we understand this kid. Yeah. And so uh, I think he's really coming into his own here. 
That's great. That's great. Yeah. What is, uh, of all the things that you enjoy doing, you said you're into cross-country cross running and hiking. What's something that when I come and I, you know, step into your class, what's something that you feel like stands out the most? Your Latin, whether it's 6th, 7th, or 8th, I'm in your Latin class, I'm sitting down, I'm watching you do what you do. What is something that I, a takeaway that you hope that I get from being in your class? Well, that's a tough one. Um, the probably the, the biggest thing I would want you to see, you probably couldn't see. <laughs> Which most of the great things in teaching are. Yeah. Um, I was taught Latin a certain way. And I was taught to teach Latin a certain way. And I was unable to learn Latin that way. Huh. So I've, I kind of felt like I had to teach myself Latin, is what I, what I felt. And so the way I understand Latin is different from the way everyone else understands it. So the way I teach it is different from the way everyone else teaches it. So you would walk into anyone else's Latin classroom, you would see a certain method of teaching. You walk into my class, you're going to see something totally different. So that's that would be the biggest takeaway I would want you to see. All right. What's the When you have uh, six graders that come in mm-hmm. um, to your Latin class, and eventually they move on and they get to eighth grade, what is the probably the biggest component? Obviously, as a foreign language teacher, you want them to learn the language that you're teaching to the best of your ability. Um, but what is one thing that when they start in sixth grade, so the time they leave in eighth grade, what is it that you want them to take away from the experience that they've had in Latin for three years? Well, I want them to have fun. I want them to have a love for language. But I also want them to have a, a basic understanding of how the language works. And uh, this, this will take me a minute here. Go for it. But imagine Latin as a Lego castle. Mm-hmm. All right. The castle is made up of walls and the walls are made up of bricks. When I was taught Latin, they taught me all the bricks. Here's a brick, here's a brick, here's a brick. Let's learn all the bricks. They never taught me how the bricks fit together to make a wall, right? Mm-hmm. So I never really understood the castle because I didn't understand the walls. So what I teach the kids is not the bricks. I teach them the walls, all right? Here's the four walls that make up Latin. Let's learn the walls, right? Now we can see how the castle works. Mm-hmm. And then as necessary... We'll talk about the individual bricks in the wall. It's like, all right, let's see how this brick fits into the wall. Let's see how that brick fits into the wall. But I, I like to start with the walls and not with the bricks. So that's great. That's that's a great way of looking at that's it. That's how I do it differently. And it's I'm sure it's very difficult to to formulate that you know idea of trying to teach it when you've been taught such a certain way. I think right. about it like anything else. When someone when you're doing something for for uh, for so long one way. It's almost like you only know that way. Yes. And getting out of that, I mean, I see it in uh, in coaching where, you know, mm-hmm. a kid can be, you know, taught a certain way for, you know, their formative years all the way until they're 10, 11, 12. Then by the time they get to me around 13, 14, it's like I got to almost try and find a way to get them to do it. Not so much my way, but the way that I feel like it's going to help them be most successful. Right. And I think that kind of caters to kind of the same way you, you're teaching your class. Absolutely. Um, uh, what's a, uh, a hobby, maybe a passion project or something that when I, you know, have a conversation with you, knowing all this, I'm like, there's no way that you do that. Or there's no way that, you know, I can't believe that you're into this certain thing. What's a passion project you have or a hobby that maybe most people who aren't familiar with you or aren't friendly with you don't know? All right. So my, my biggest passions or pastimes, um, I love to listen to music, but I guess that's everybody. Genre? Specific genre? Specific genre. I like late 60s, early 70s, when psychedelic rock slowly became heavy metal and progressive rock. Do you have a favorite psychedelic group or band and a favorite heavy metal band? Uh, I would say my favorite heavy metal band is Uriah Heep. Okay. 
And my favorite psychedelic band is probably a group called High Tide. Last concert you could ever watch. Which one are you picking? Last concert I could ever watch? Last concert you could ever get to. Out of those two, who are you going to see? I'm going to go see Uriah Heep. All right. There we go. <laughs> uh, I also love uh, stamp collecting. All right. I love strategy board gaming. And I'm trying to learn how to play the banjo. Look at you. Favorite strategy board game? Uh, Civilization. Civilization. Not the one on the computer, but the original board say, game. I was going to say. Yep. I was like, I think our listeners might be more in tune with the other one. Right. The, would you? Would it be more, better. like, what would you compare it to in terms of the original board game and take away the, uh, the video game aspect? Mm-hmm. What's a game that you feel like kids could make, maybe they'd be a little more synonymous? Would it be like a Sims, like a... Uh, I guess the games really develop those civilizations. What's a, a modern game that you would f- probably fit closely with Civilization, the board game? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you want it to be a video game? Could be a video game. Could be anything. If if the kids know a board game like Settlers of Catan or something like that, which is that's a little bit more common. Mm-hmm. It's it's a kind of a game where there's really no dice. There's no luck. There's no random chance in it. It's all just you and your strategy. Hmm. I'm trying to come up with a video game that's like that. But uh, What about a strategy game? Maybe even a, a reality, almost like a survivor. Is there a, like a real-life kind of version of Civilization that you've come across? Oh, you know, even the... You know, just to go there, the... Uh, you said it there, the... Uh, what is that? The reality show Survivor. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a little bit of random element in that. You know, do you get the idol or not? But for the most part, that is your physical skill, your social engineering. It's you against the world, you know. And that's that's how I feel civilization is. It's, okay. It's how well can you manipulate the pieces of the game to outmaneuver your opponent. All right. Great. In 20 years... Um, Obviously, you want to retire in Oregon. We've established that. In 20 years, if you had to pick, um, after you know, say teaching is done, 20, 30, whatever it is, what's something that you feel like you want to wake up and just do? Whether like, it's a small job, whether it's, I always <laughs> say, like my retirement gig that I would love is either one, just check people in at a golf course or you know rip tickets and show people their seats at a minor league baseball stadium that would be like my retirement gig i would have no problem waking up and doing that when i'm done with my teaching career or my career in education what's something that you feel like you'll be motivated and excited to get up and do when this whole teaching thing is done well when i move to oregon i'm going to spend my free time hiking but for money i'm hoping that i can start some kind of a I don't know, some kind of a psychedelic bluegrass band. I can playing the banjo. You know, yeah, playing the banjo. Uh, you know, I got a wah wah pedal. I got an uh, electric banjo with an amp. I'm learning how to play some uh, heavy metal, speed metal songs on it. So, okay. You know, put together a band and uh, you know, tour around. Look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. What's uh to to kind of close this out? What is a uh, a famous quote? Words of wisdom. Um, you have to remember where the quote came from. Just something that you want to leave our listeners with, both students and staff alike, uh, that you just want to, them to take away from just maybe something you've learned across, you know, across your path throughout life. Tons of great sayings from the ancient Greeks. They're filled with these uh, pithy witticisms. I'm going to go with one from Socrates, though. Socrates. Socrates. And there's this is quoted so many different ways. I'll give you my version. Okay. He said, the more I know, the less I know I know. So as he would ask a question and seek out the answer to that question, as soon as he found the answer, he realized the answer would invite a dozen more questions. 
And each one of those questions, in turn, when answered, would invite a dozen more questions. So as his knowledge grew, he realized his ignorance grew exponentially. That's it. So you just you never stop learning. There's, That's the truth. Always more to know. And uh, and making sure that you fill that tank to continue wanting to learn is important mm-hmm. too. I'm sure. You know, some people get you know complacent, okay with just learning a certain amount or just enough right. to get by. But uh, the more you expand on that, the more dynamic of a of a mind, your intelligence, cognitively you are, socially and. I think, uh, you know, that that's a lot to be said. You know, I always like it, you know, when people say, like, the wisest person in the room is usually the quietest. Because they're just <laughs> taking everything in and just kind of seeing what's going on. And then eventually they pick that right moment to say something that is profound or impactful. So um, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. It was great to learn a lot about you. It was um, fun. I run into you a lot, you know, these days. You're always kind of over in the PE office, stopping by, saying good morning. Um, so I appreciate taking the time to get to know you a little better. And uh, hopefully our listeners enjoy this conversation as well. Um, thank you, Mr. Duncan. Well, thanks for having me. Waleta. Waleta. This is Mr. Hendricks signing off. Another episode of See You at the Crossroads. Catch you next time.